Welcome to Nothing to Hide. This is Justin Hyde, your host, along with always my great brother, Cody Hyde. Cody Hyde, I'm here. There you go. Let's roll. And with us today, we've got a special guest, Mr. Rob Riggle. Hey. Huh? Yeah. Military. Yeah. Actor. Yep. Family man. Guilty. All all Producer. Yes. Sport fanatic. Man, you yes, all of them. Professional fly fisherman. Well, uh, that's where you got me. Okay, uh, close. I, I love it, uh-huh. but uh, unless you're there to fix my flies and get me out of when I cast into the uh, limbs of trees, uh, I, I got no skills. We're there together on that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, help. yeah, but no, it's great having Mr. Rob here. Uh, great friend. Thank uh, you. We, Thank you. We would like to call you a brother as well. Yeah, I appreciate and that. We're right excited. Got you. Right, excited to have you here. So, thank you. Absolutely, Rob. It's uh, it's our pleasure to have you on today. And um, Rob, one of the things that uh, fascinates me about you, and and I know Cody and I have talked about this before, but um, a lot of the folks that we see that uh, are so successful, like yourself, um, they don't forget where they came from. And uh, I believe that's Rob Riggle to a T. Um, the the wonderful things that you do in your hometown in Kansas City for the military. Um, we had a uh, uh, an awesome opportunity to head out to Augusta National together to the Masters, and and you had an extra spot that uh, you could have given to anyone, and it went to your best friend from growing up, Jim Davis, who's yeah. a a great guy, <laughs> and and uh, talk to us for a minute, but uh, you know about about that. You're really you know it's in your DNA to take care of those that you grew up with, and and you you haven't forgot where you've come from. Well, you, yeah, well, you're very you you compliment me a lot, and I, you're very kind to say those nice things. But uh, yeah, no, look, I uh, I'm very proud of where I'm from. I think people should be proud of where they're from, and and uh, you know if you get an opportunity to to give back to your community, you know, do it. Uh, if you're in a position that you can, I think it's a responsibility to do that. So, uh, so I do, I do a, a charity event back in Kansas city for children's mercy hospital. Um, they asked me to host an event for them, uh, about 10 years ago, about 11, no, now it's about 12 years ago. And, um, I did, but they had me doing corny stuff. You know, I was doing corny jokes. I was doing, you know, I hosted the event. It was a black tie event. Uh, we raised a lot of money that night, but you know, I felt like I had been shoehorned into it a little bit. And so, but they were very smart cause they took me on a tour of the hospital and I, I met the doctors, I met the nurses, I met the staff, I met uh, the parents, I met some of the patients, and I watched them do open heart surgery on a nine day old baby. Wow. Mm. Where just one year prior, that baby would have perished. Mm. Okay. But because of the new technology and the robotics they were using, they were able to do surgery with robotics because the, the heart of this baby was no bigger than my thumbnail. Wow. And they're, they're, they're actually repairing arteries and stuff. Um, I was blown away because I felt like I was watching some space age thing. And that was 12 years ago. And I realized that the work they're doing is phenomenal. And I also learned from the doctors and nurses that they don't turn anybody away. Nobody gets turned away. And that makes that a very powerful uh, community asset for the, the entire region, really from Omaha down to Oklahoma city, from St. Louis to Denver, that is the number one uh, child hospital. And, it, wow. and it, so there's a lot of people, especially in rural Kansas and, uh, you know, Southeast Nebraska and, and Northern Oklahoma, you know, they, they have to come there if they need help. And the parents, you know, a lot of them can't afford to stay in hotels while their, while their child's get. So they have a, a version of the Ronald McDonald house there, you know, and, 
bottom line is when you don't turn anybody away, you need a lot of independent funding. And so I said, okay, well, you got me. I'm in. So let's now let's figure out what how I can best help because I don't want to do that again. Not that it's not a great event. They still do the event. I just don't host it. Sure. I said, I said, let me do my own event. And they were like, sure, knock yourself out. You know, they probably thought, you know, I was, but I was, I was very adamant about it. And I remember sitting on the dock uh, down at my parents' lake house with my brother-in-law and we were just having a beer and I was brainstorming with him and I was saying, what can we do? What can we do? And, and at that time I had just a little bit of celebrity, not much, but enough, you know, that I was being asked to host these things and do, you know, and I said, well, I want to get celebrities to come back to Kansas city. Cause I'm real proud of Kansas city. And I think if people go there and visit and spend some time there, they always walk away going, I love it. You know, it's a charming little town. The people are really nice. It's a great place to go. And so I, I'm proud of it. So I thought, how can I get celebrities to come back to, to there? Poker. Bunch of degenerate gamblers in Hollywood. <laughs> you know, and, and you, all they need is an excuse to play poker, right? So I was like, poker, that's what we'll do. So, okay, great. Well, if I did it, I was willing to do it myself. But there's always strength in numbers and you can, you can accomplish more. So I ran into Paul Rudd at the Daily Show Christmas party. Wow. And Paul's a Kansas City guy. He went to Shawnee Mission West High School. I went to Shawnee Mission South. He went to KU for two years. I went to KU. He actually rushed me in his fraternity one weekend. <laughs> I was his guest. <laughs> True story. Um, and um, I cornered him at the Christmas party at the Daily Show. And I said, listen, I'm thinking about doing this thing in Kansas City for Children's Mercy Hospital. It's a poker tournament. I know you play because I know he does play. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, he didn't miss a beat. He's like, absolutely. I'm in. Wow. So I was like, oh, I got Paul Rudd. You know, I got Ant-Man. And this is before he was Ant-Man, by the way. But I got Paul Rudd. And that's that's a big get. Absolutely. So I was like, great. This is amazing. So I said, listen, I'm going to reach out to Sudeikis, Jason Sudeikis, who's on Saturday Night Live. Because Sudeikis was a writer on SNL when I was on SNL. Okay. okay. And he went to Shawnee Mission West school also so we're all from that pool wow i mean we all were five mile radius of each other growing up had no idea no none at all and uh, uh there must have been something in the water in the 80s in kansas i don't know what it was but anyway so i i, I called sudeikis and i said and this is it's always better when you're making a sale because i was like look I, rudd and i are going to do this we just want to know if you want in you know you want to be part of this <laughs> this major event that's going to rock the world you know and Sudeikis was like i'm in yeah, count me in so for the first five, uh, five or six years of this event, it was just the three of us. It was just the three hosts. And what we did was uh, Kathy Sudeikis, Jason, Jason's mom, is a travel agent. So she handled all the travel. Uh, Paul Rudd's mom, Gloria, uh, it was a PR lady. So she did all the media and marketing. And my brother-in-law and my sister uh, did operations. So they set up the, the show, they set up the poker tournament, a family affair. It, it really Kansas was, it was grassroots. City. We didn't have yeah. any staff. We didn't have any hired people. It was just something we wanted to do and see if we could. So the first year we set our goal at $50,000. Well, if we can raise $50,000, we've done something here and we should be proud of it. We raised $115,000, Wow! which was, we, we were all just shocked. We more than doubled what we intended to do. Now that first year, I was shooting a movie in New York uh, called The Other Guys with Will Ferrell and, and Mark Wahlberg. And, Absolutely. And Adam McKay was the director and Adam had an apartment in New York and every Friday night he would put together a big poker game. And these were, these were a blast. We'd go in and he, he hired a dealer from Atlantic City to come up. So we had a full-time <laughs> dealer. 
we uh, we all smoked these big fifty gauge cigars, you know, and 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 we had beer and everybody was potluck, so everybody brought stuff from different restaurants, you know. So we had chips and dips and casseroles and and uh, it was a kind of a smorgasbord, and we played poker all night till about eight a.m. And this was like this is just standard operating procedure every Friday night. We meet at McKay's apartment. So we're getting towards the end of the movie. We're getting to the end of the production. And, and I realized I got this thing coming up that I've never done before. I don't know what to expect, but I know I got to get some celebrities. <laughs> so I'm like, um, hey, guys, you know, uh, I'm doing this thing in Kansas City. I've never done it before. I have no idea what to expect, but it should be a lot of fun. We're going to play a poker tournament. Anybody want to come? <laughs> and uh, to their credit, Adam uh, or Will Ferrell was the first one. He goes, I'll come. Wow. And I went, Amazing. I just, my jaw dropped. I was like, I got Will Ferrell. I got Will Ferrell. <laughs> Will Ferrell's coming. And then Adam McKay, who's Academy Award winning director, goes, uh, I'll come. And then Chris Hinchy, uh, who's married to Brooke Shields and is a, a, a very talented screenwriter who wrote the other guys. He goes, I'll come. And then wow. Damon Wayne Jr. came, I'll come. It just went around. Everybody said yes. Full house. Amazing. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. So I was, I was like, thank you. I'm going to hold you to this. And they were like, yeah, no, we're, we're in. We're in. We want to come. I was like, you know, this is a full weekend in Kansas City, guys. And they're like, yeah, no, we're, we're in. So I was like, thank you. And so that first year, I got Will Ferrell, and, 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 and I reached out to any other celebrity. I did a movie with Johnny Knoxville. He said yes. I reached out to anybody I'd ever come in contact with in Hollywood I had reached out to. Wow. I mean, like, I even hung out with uh, uh, Maroon 5 at one time, and I invited them. You know, <laughs> like, anybody I mean it. If I, if I came in contact with you, you got an invite. And not many people came, but I, that first year, getting Will was a big deal because the Kansas City press really responded to that. Yeah, absolutely. And they were like, Will Ferrell's in town, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he's in town for this, this thing, that this, this, and we named it the Big Slick. I named it the Big Slick because it was a poker term, which means ace king in the hole. And when you play okay. Texas Hold'em, that's, that's what you call it. When you have an ace king in the hole, right. it's a Big Slick. So we, and I thought it was just a fun name or whatever. So we, we called it the Big Slick. The event was called the Big Slick from then. And, um, and then the, so that was a, a, like I said, a successful year. And so we said, well, shoot, we, you know, let's try year two. If we did that. So if 115 was where we raised our goal is 116. And then the next year we raised uh, 225,000 or wow. 220,000 or something. So, you know, so as long as we were topping ourselves, we were like, we can't stop. So we just kept building and building. And I got to tell you, I'm so grateful to Will Farrell and those guys that first year, yeah. because the next year in year two, when I was going out to recruit, you mm -hmm. know, talent to come back yep. and give me an entire weekend, their free time, their time away from their family, you know, to come back to Kansas City and, and, and be with us to help this hospital. Um, it helps so much to have pictures and video. I was like, oh yeah, this is me and uh, Rudd and uh, Will Ferrell. Hey, just take a look at it, you know, <laughs> and they would look at it and they, and they go, oh, and in Hollywood, let me tell you something. It's a bunch of lemmings, all right, <laughs> running off a cliff. If if Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd are there, then they're like, I, I better be there too, you know. Like, and it works. It really did work because they're like uh, guilt by association. They're like, well, we're coming. So it became so much easier to recruit talent to come back, and then that builds on itself. Because then the next year we had, you know, I think the first year we maybe had eight or nine, maybe ten celebrities. Then the next year we had. 12 to 15 celebrities, but they were new faces. And then the guys, that, and each time the guys came, they wanted to come back. That's, that's a big deal. Which is huge. You know, they all wanted, and now last year, the last year we did this, this, unfortunately this year we had to cancel because of COVID. Right. But the, the year 10, we, uh, we, we, uh, uh, 
Cut to year 10. We are no longer in the voodoo lounge at Harris Casino in North Kansas <laughs> because the Missouri Gaming Commission made our life H-E double hockey sticks, right? Yeah, and, that's right. So we had to change it to a bowling tournament and a softball tournament with the Royals, uh, a softball game on Friday and then bowling tournament. And then we do a live show and auction and it's become this whole thing. And now we're at the Sprint Center in Kansas City. You know, wow. It's, it's unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah, and, and, and we, we still play the Royals game and, the, and we, the entertainment's off the charts. We have Chris Daughtry singing songs with Alex Lifeson from Rush playing guitar and, and David Cook and, and Nate uh, Bergazzi doing stand-up for us. And, and you know, the show has just grown into this amazing thing. And so last, the, we raised $2.2 million in one weekend. Um, wow. So the first goal in year one was 50000 and then this last year we raised yeah, $2.2 that's and, really cool. And it, it, it helps. And now we're up to 45 celebrities. Like it's good to the point where we don't have enough hotel rooms. It's like, it's not cost effective to bring in so many <laughs> celebrities, but if we don't invite them, they get upset. Like Zach Levi, uh, Shazam, who yeah. you've seen, you know, he always had a show uh, yeah. on the television for a long time. And, um, he, uh, came one year and then next year he didn't come. And, uh, he called us and said, uh, did I do something wrong? Are you guys upset with me? <laughs> and we're like, no, why, what happened? And he's like, he's like, I, I didn't get invited to the big slick and I'm a little upset about it. And we're like, oh my God, I thought we had crossed community. We had screwed up. Are we had screwed up? Oh no. And we, no. and I thought somebody else had invited him. So we just assumed he said no, because we hadn't heard. Truth is we just, we dropped the ball and he called us and was like, don't count me out count me in from now. So we were like, we are so sorry. Please come, please come back. And he did. He's been back every year since and big supporter. So people really love this thing Absolutely. Uh, and it's become a real bonding experience. Like we even have big slick reunions back in LA where we all get together. No for way. Oh yeah. It's just, it's, that's what it's become. So it's really fun when you, and you guys know this better than anybody. If you build it, they will come. And if you can get those people coming early, then it grows from there because word gets out that it's something special. And then, you know, and then they want to come back every year and then it grows from there and you can do amazing things. So in that 10 years, we've raised 10, over $10 million for Children's Mercy. Amazing. You know, and just by getting together in Kansas, and have, City. In Kansas City, just yeah. getting together, having a fun weekend. Yeah. You know, and, and so anyway, a long story. That was a simple question. I no, gave you a monster answer. I apologize. Wonderful. Yeah. And uh, thank you for all you're doing. Um, yeah. What's know, been really fascinating too is uh, you do other charitable events. You, you're a veteran. Yeah. Uh, which we appreciate your service. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank really you. Really appreciate it. And we've been able to meet a couple of those guys, including Will Farrow and yeah. and, and <laughs> neat guys. Yeah, really Will's nice a guys. Really stand up guy and mm -hmm. and Nate and yeah. and others. And you really do surround yourself with some really cool individuals that want to give back, mm. which we admire. And and when we hear them talk about you, and you're a very humble <laughs> guy, but they they really appreciate you as well and the service. And, but I'd, I'd kind of like to talk a little bit about that Saturday night live. You've referenced it. Yeah, sure. Okay. So how did this come up? You're in New York, yeah. but you weren't there to act, were you? No, I was in, I was on active duty. I was still on active wow. duty. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to go in the whole backstory cause it takes forever and I, you know, sure. I don't want to burn up your time, but bottom line is I ended up in New York, uh, on active duty. Um, I was working in the public affairs office there in Manhattan so right above Smith and Walensky's on 3rd and 49th. <laughs> okay, there yeah. you go. Um, I, I was working in the office building right there. And uh, uh, every branch of service had a, a small detachment for this stuff. A lot of dog and pony stuff, you know, a lot of events out at the Intrepid. You know, if there was parades or Marine Corps birthday balls, we approved scripts. We would go out and work with the media on things. We would escort people to battle zones. We do all kinds of stuff. We had a, uh, we had a catch-all. We had a big umbrella. Uh, that we did. 
But I, I always wanted to be an actor and a comedian. That was always something that was in me. It was just a matter of, did I have the guts to do it? And the answer was no, for a long time. I didn't have the guts to do it. But when I got myself to New York, I kept pushing myself into a position where I, I couldn't deny it. You know what I mean? Like sure. I kept requesting duty assignments and kept, kept dabbling and playing with it until I kind of pushed myself onto stage in a way. Okay. So I got to New York uh, with the intention of acting and comedy. But I, was, I had a three-year deal. I had just extended my contract with the Marine Corps for another three years. And how long had you been in the Marines at that time? At that point, I was in for five years. I'd been in for five. I had just been promoted to captain. And uh, I, was, I was good to get out at that point. My, my career, my service was my co- obligation. My contract was up. And the, the chief of staff for 2nd Marine Air Wing, which is where I was in Cherry Point, North Carolina, he goes, what are you going to do? What are your intentions? I said, I'm, I'm getting out. I'm going to go to Chicago and study at Improv, uh, Second City, Improv Olympic, you know, kind of, I'll be a bartender, I don't know, day job so I can do comedy at night. He goes, well, what would it take for you to stay in? I said, well, I, I didn't know the Marines negotiated, but okay. I said, well, I, I said, if you can get me orders to New York City or Los Angeles, I'll, I'll, I'll extend on active duty. I'll give you three more years, but, you know, I got to go to one of those. Next morning, he called my bluff, had orders in New York City. Wow. So I was like, oh, well, that <laughs> happened. So, and I figured, you know, I had to have a day job anyway. Sure. I was going to be bartending or whatever. I, Captain Spay is pretty good. So I was like, I'll, I'll do that. So I did. I extended on active duty, took the extension, moved to New York. And, you know, that job is, is as good as it gets in the Marine Corps because you're, you're kind of away from the flagpole a little mm-hmm, bit. You know, yeah. you're, you're kind of an independent operator in Manhattan, uh, 7 a.m. To, to 5 p.m. You clock out at 5 p.m. and go home, you know. Uh, it's not a bad gig as far as sure. Marine Corps gigs go. And when I would clock out at 5 p.m., I would, uh, I would go down to the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater and take improv classes. I would, uh, uh, I tried to do some stand-up. I hated it, you know, at first. Um, and you know, and I take some acting classes and I was, so I spent my evenings acting and doing comedy. So I had two jobs for a long time. Did the, uh, did the fellow troops know about this or this? No, kind I of kept a- it all. I kept it quiet. <laughs> I kept it quiet. I, you know, I told the guys in the office and then, sure. uh, they came down to a couple of improv, improv shows are, are a tricky beast because sometimes they're really funny and sometimes they miss. And, you know, especially when you're just starting, just starting out. The more experienced you get, the more consistent you get. You know, the shows are pretty good. But when I was starting out, I didn't want anybody to come down and see me because, you know, <laughs> some shows were electric and you're like, oh, I wish everybody would have seen that show. And then some shows are like just a big fart bag. It's just <laughs> awful, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so anyway. Uh, and and Rob, is this people. something you always wanted to do ever since you were like a kid? Yeah, I was a fan of comedy. I was such a fan of comedy. I grew up as a, a kid of the 80s. So... Uh, Stripes, Caddyshack, uh, Meatballs, Ghostbusters, you know, go down the great comedies of the 80s and I can I can almost quote it line for line for you. And it wasn't necessarily the biggest characters or the you know, the lead characters that made me laugh. It was the supporting characters that I always found the most joy in. You know, uh, uh, Caddyshack was an ensemble. So you had, you know, that was pretty, yeah. everybody got a piece of that pie. But, you know, like Rick Moranis in Ghostbusters, to me, he was the gold, you know, and Bill Murray obviously had killer lines and was uh-huh. great in that movie. But the, 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 the players that came in and dropped some bombs and, and even throwaway lines that meant nothing to, you know, still, I quote him to this day. I still Absolutely. quote him in my, in the everyday vernacular of hanging out with friends. 
on a golf course. You know, who doesn't quote Caddyshack annually on a golf course or sure. almost every week? So I, I was a fan of comedy and I appreciated it so much and I wanted to do it, but I, I really didn't have the guts. In high school, I tried uh, a thing. We had a thing called forensics. And it was, it was like competition acting. It was like, you didn't have to do theater. I didn't have to be one of the drama nerds. Uh, that's what we called them at the time. You know, now it's obviously politically incorrect to do that, but, but I wasn't, I, I was, you know, cause I played football and I did other things yeah. and I was more in that jockey kind of crew. Sure. But I really was passionate about comedy. I thought comedy was the greatest gift on earth. And so I, I did this forensic stuff and I did all right at it. And I, but I, I was scary, but I, I did all right at it. And I, I, found a lot of reward from that. Then I got up to Kansas university and, uh, I was, I, I would study theater and film. Uh, I was, you know, I was, I was all the way, I was history or theater and film, history or theater and film. And I got to that decision point where they're like, you got to pick a major dude. You know, I was like, Oh, fine. Theater and uh, theater and film. Wow. And so that's right. Then I was history minor theater and film major. And, uh, but I had my pilot's license when I was an undergrad. Okay. Um, and so that's how I got a guaranteed flight contract with the Marine Corps. That's a whole nother story. Um, and I flew for them for a little while before I transferred to the ground side. That's to shorten my, uh, time on uh, active duty so I could go pursue comedy and acting. As it turns out, I ended up spending 23 years in the Marine Corps, uh, nine, nine years on active duty, 14 years in the reserves. Um, but going back to that. So anyway, so I'm pursuing comedy and acting uh, Kosovo comes up. I, I was the, I was the last guy in the office five o'clock on a Friday, the phone rings. It's that decision point where I'm like, <laughs> do I answer? Or do I walk out this door? I was like, ah, being the responsible Marine. I was like, ah, I got to answer it. Pick it up. Sure enough. Who is this? Captain Riggle. Yeah, that's the guy I'm looking for. Captain Riggle. How do you feel about the phrase leaving on a jet plane? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, sir. How should I feel about it? He goes, you should feel good about it because you're about to leave on a jet plane. He goes, you're flying to Germany from there. You're going to fly on to uh, Albania. You're going to meet up with Jack Joint Task Force Shining Hope. And uh, I believe the 24th Mew is going to come up. We already got some uh, the 82nd Airborne out there with some Air Force guys. Uh, you're going to join up with the with the PA shop out there. Congratulations. You're going to have a heck of a time. I was like, when do I leave? He goes, well, you got to draw your gear. I don't know. Um, why don't you head out? Uh, you know, so it was a Friday and I had to fly out Monday. Wow. And uh, so I had about 48 hours. And I said, well, when, I, when will I be back? And he goes, well, according to what I'm looking at, it says indefinite. So as soon as, as, soon as they're done with you, son. <laughs> wow. I was like, what does that mean? You know, like I'm supposed to get married in the fall, you know? <laughs> and, and they was like, well, you know, the Marine Corps is not too concerned about your marriage plans, you know? <laughs> so that was it. And I was like, I just sat there in shock. And I was like, so I went home and I had to tell my fiance, uh, I was like, well, I'm leaving uh, and I don't know when I'll be back, but maybe six months. Uh, that's usually the max on these deployments. Hope it's not any longer, but love you, babe. And uh, so I, I talked that I had a Colonel at the office and I was like, so I called him. I was like, Hey, what, what am I going to do? He's like, all right, do you trust this girl? I was like, yeah. He goes, are you going to, when are you going to marry? I was going to marry in the fall. He goes, well, it's the spring. I was like, yeah, you're right. He goes, <laughs> he goes if you're going to marry then marry now. I was like, you're right. So we went down to the courthouse on the sly. The only witness was a fellow captain and my sergeant, Sergeant uh, Castro no. and, and Captain Kubler and, and, and uh, Colonel Lahern. They were my three. And they, on the way down, because I, I went down there, I said, I got to get married. And they were like, it's a 48 hour wait period. And they, <laughs> you know, and, and I was like, you know, uh, or actually I, I was supposed to leave on Tuesday because this was Monday. So I went down Monday and I was like, I got to get married. 
because I'm leaving. And they're like, well, you got to wait. We have, you know, they have rules. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of pitching a fit with this clerk, this city clerk who doesn't care about me. Right. And, and this guy walks behind the counter I was, and he goes, goes, what's the problem? What's the problem? You know, cause he, he could hear the kerfuffle. Yeah. And so I explained, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Marines. I just got, uh, orders. I got to go overseas. Um, and, uh, for this, you know, Kosovo, Albania thing. And, uh, I, I need to get married because I'm leaving tomorrow. And he goes, no kidding. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. He goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, come back after lunch and I'll marry you. He goes, I'm, I'm the judge. He goes, I'll marry you. He goes, I was a, uh, I was a, in, I was a Marine in Vietnam. He goes, I'll oh marry you. I'll take care of you. Wow. So wow. I was like, oh, thank you, sir. And he was like, yeah. So then my fiance and I, we went down out, this is city hall in New York. We walked outside across the street to a subway sandwich shop. We split a foot long because we didn't have time to go home and change. Put on. I'm in jeans and a button down, and she's in like a Ann Taylor sweater set. That's why we get yeah. along well, Rick. Yeah, and we we, we went across the street. We split a, a subway sandwich. We talked while I called the guys at the office. Said, "Yeah, they're going to here. I'm going to get married after lunch." They go, "Oh, we, we're coming. We're coming." So the guys in my office came down. They brought uh, Tiffany, my my fiance. They brought her flowers. You know, so she oh, had wow. something to hold. We had witnesses and I put my mom on a cell, my mom and dad on a cell phone so they could hear us. We didn't have FaceTime. This is, this is back flip phone, you know, this sure. is way back in the day. Um, and they listened uh, uh, and we, we had the ceremony right then and there. And then she got power of attorney, which the, the lawyer, the Marine lawyer pulled me aside and goes, yeah, do you trust her? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yeah. And he goes, cause you know, when you go overseas, she's got power of attorney. She could clean out your bank accounts, take your this, and she could disappear on you. And I was like, I feel good about this one. Like, I don't think she's going to do it, you know? And, and he goes, all right, I just had to warn you. you know? and, 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 cause this happens, I guess, to some, some of these poor guys. Uh, and so, so it was good because here's the thing, girlfriends and fiancés they don't get information. They don't get mm, benefits. Yeah. They don't get anything. If anything happened to me over there, she's just out of luck. So now if something happened to me, she gets a, a spousal benefit. She yeah. gets information. If I'm wounded, she gets, you know, she's treated. She's, yeah. So it was, it was good. So anyway, um, uh, yeah. So, so that happened. Kosovo happened. Then I get back from Kosovo. We have a church wedding. No one knows that we were married on the sly. Everybody thinks it's all good. So, wow. so she milked me for two anniversaries for a very long time. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then, um, and then I got a nine 11 happened. Uh, wow. So you're in New York city. Nine 11 happens. Nine 11 happens. Um, at that point I had just left active duty. My, my three years were up and I had just left active duty and, um, I was in the reserves. My reserve unit was MTU 17 in Manhattan. The only reserve unit in Manhattan. No way. Unreal. So nine 11 happens. I get a call that afternoon from my, uh, my commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Brozak. He calls and says, stand by. Uh, I'm anticipating us getting orders because we're in Manhattan yeah. and they closed all the bridges and tunnels. So he's like, I think we're going to be activated probably as early as tonight. Sure enough. I got a call back at like 11 o'clock that night saying we've been activated report to ground zero uh, tomorrow. So basically one police plaza is right by city hall, wow. city hall, one police plaza are the big municipal buildings and, and they're right down by the towers. So he said, report to one police plaza. Uh, and I did. Um, that next morning in my utilities, boots and utes, that's what we call them. Okay. Boots and utilities. Uh, we got down there, they handed us surgical masks, you know, cause we needed some masks and then they sent us to our place. Cause it, at that time there were six stories of rubble. It was still smoldering. Oh uh, my the, goodness. the surrounding buildings I can't uh, were unstable. Um, even that night, another building had collapsed on itself. Uh, so, so 
but we we didn't know what to think. We thought there could potentially be hundreds, if not thousands of people trapped under this six stories of rubble. Cause I mean, it was city blocks in that way, city blocks, East, West. I mean, the whole, it was a whole area and, and we just didn't know. We didn't know. We knew there were people missing. We knew there was all this. So we couldn't bring in heavy loaders. We couldn't bring in bucket loaders. We couldn't bring in things because it, we were afraid of cave-ins. Yeah, you had to be on edge. Yeah. What's and, coming still. And the buildings. Like, it looked like on, on one of the buildings, it, it really was surreal in the sense that it looked like Godzilla had clawed out the front of the building. Because when that tower fell, the big pieces of that tower just gutted surrounding buildings. And we and those buildings now are unsafe because now the winds are blowing and it's, it's, it's becomes very scary. But we had to, like ants going up hills, it was, it was bucket brigades. And that was the only way to get rubble out off the piles into these, you know, th- and then from there, the bucket loaders could move it to the barges. Okay. But you couldn't bring any heavy equipment. So it was all done for the first six days and nights all by hand. Wow. Um, and then after six days, they declared it no longer search and recovery, became search or search and rescue. It became search and recovery. Wow. And so, and so going back to that yeah. rescue efforts, yeah. uh, one, I can't even fathom going through that. How did you stay composed? Uh, I mean, did you find some survivors during that effort? Never uh, found a survivor. Um, if they found uh, body parts, they called for a bag. Uh, we pass it up the line, then pass it back down. Um, every now and then they would stop all work. So there was two things. There was an air horn. Okay. And if the, if the air horn went, it means everybody run, don't walk, get off the piles because we were, they were afraid buildings were going to come down or whatever. Uh, and if they blew a whistle, it meant stop working. And it meant stop moving because they would drop listening devices down, wow. in, down into the, uh, into the rubble. And then they would, they, they would all sit there that, you know, they had really high tech microphones and they'd listen in case anybody was pounding a pipe or screaming or, you know, they could hear. And then the, after we listened, they'd pull the microphone out of the, out of the rubble and they'd say, okay, blow the whistle, everybody back to work. And then we'd continue working. And only one time did the air horn go off. You know, it was like, and when that thing cranked up, we started, we came, everybody got off the piles. We started running and uh, there was a, a street and I came around the corner, right? And I'm, uh, everybody's behind me and I'm running. And they had uh, for the night work, because it was 12 hours on, 12 hours off, 12 hours wow. on, 12 hours off, 12 hours on, 12. So I was on the day shift and, and but they had uh, these uh, trailers uh, that had generators and lights. You've seen them, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Games, you know, they kind of crank them up and then the, they run them all night. Right. But they have a long trailer hitch on them. Oh yeah. So I came around the corner and I got my legs pinned on the trailer hitch. So the trailer hitch is kind of right below my knees, right on my shins and no problem. You know, I thought, okay, I just got, you know, but all of a sudden they kept pushing and coming and coming and coming. And I was getting backed up because it, it was a little funnel, you know, everybody's coming out this one Avenue and I got my legs pinched and I was, I could feel them there. I thought they were going to break my legs. Uh, oh my goodness. So I had to do my best, uh, uh, Charles Barkley and, and use my <laughs> butt like, a, like I'm taking the low post. Like I went, and I drove my butt back and elbows and I got enough gap between me and the people pushing me to get over the thing. But then I had to stand, almost stand on it and warn people that, you know, this thing, you're yeah. going to get tripped up. You're going to break your legs hitting this thing. So then, then they started to make a wide berth around it. And then like the, like the rest of the fish swimming upstream, you know, everybody made the wide berth too, but we ran for it. And then they, they sounded the horn. We came back and went to work. And then, so, so the first couple, you know, like I said, the first six days we were on the piles, stayed on the piles for a little while longer, but then 
more firefighters and stuff showed, you know, so we weren't as necessary there, but my orders were from September 12th to September 30th. So they moved me to one police plaza and I started coordinating military civilian efforts in one police plaza, military working dogs, you know, that kind of stuff, um, coordinating heavy equipment, whatever we can do. Um, and then, uh, and then that was it. Then I was released, uh, back to, reserve status, but I had a green badge, which is a top secret with a skiff clearance, which is very rare. Um, and I had one for my job, especially it's rare. Um, and I knew CENTCOM was going to need people. I knew where we, we were in war, you know, yeah. I didn't know what shape that was going to take or how yeah. long it was going to last or what it meant, but I knew this, you can't do this to America. Um, and I was a young captain and my country was just attacked and I was pissed. So, sure. so I volunteered to go back on active duty and, uh, amazing. It didn't take long. I got picked up pretty quick. Uh, I received orders to central command, uh, for one year, um, go back on active duty on November 10th of September one, the Marine Corps birthday. I'll never forget it. There you go. And then November 17th, I reported to central command down in Tampa at McDill Air Force Base. Um, and then, uh, November 30th, I was on a plane to Afghanistan. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, it, it was a very quick turnaround and that's when I ended up joining third battalion, fifth Bush forces group. Uh, who were the 12 strong movie yeah. where I ended up playing my boss and uh, over there. So it was, we'd it, love to hear just a little bit about that. Cause that's, that's yeah, so really I, fascinating. So, so Cent, CENTCOM sent me over to join third battalion, fifth special forces group who you see in the movie, the ODA, the uh, operational detachment alpha, you know, the, yeah. The, uh, or yeah. Anyway, they're the, the A teams. That's what special forces. That's where a team comes from. Okay. Because everybody has a job. You got medics, explosive, weapons, you know, all the, then the commander and all this stuff. So anyway. Cody and I are usually on the B team. <laughs> C team. C team. Yeah. D team, yeah. But uh, so the, the 12 Strong in the movie is about that. But the guy I play in 12 Strong was my direct boss over there. His name was Lieutenant Colonel Max Bowers. He was the commanding officer of 3rd Battalion, 5th Special Forces Group. And when I got over there, I was a captain and I reported to him. I worked directly on his staff. I briefed him every morning, briefed him every night about the situation in Mazari Sharif uh, and with, with the warlords. There were three warlords of the North, Moakek, Ada, and Dostum. And, um, and I did public affairs and civil affairs. So we were out wow. working with the local mullahs. We were, you know, how can we help? Where's the Taliban? You know, that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, so anyway, I ended up playing him in the movie. So it's a very small world. Yeah, full circle, yeah. seeing that come full circle. and. I remember uh, being with you prior to that, and you were telling me a little bit about that. That, that was your first drama, correct? Is, yeah. Or, uh, or you've kind of gone... Uh, it was, a, know, it was a, one of my out. first opportunities to play more of a straight role, because I, I do comedy. That's kind of my thing. Yeah. And uh, I usually play a comedic jerk, uh, <laughs> and that's why I get a lot of those roles. If you do it well, you get, you get asked back to do that one over <laughs> and over. Which and is over. crazy, because that's nothing like you in real life. <laughs> well, thank, but that's fun. That's why it's fun, is because you get to take that side of your personality for a walk, which you never get to do in that's real right. life. You know? right. so mm-hmm. it's, but yes, that was one of the first dramatic or straight roles, I would call it, I guess, um, that I got to do. So I, I'll, I'll just let you know. So when I got back, so I did my year. Uh, got promoted to major, uh, caught back, um, and, uh, ran the New York city marathon right when I got back. Wow! And then, uh, we, I went into 2003 and again, went back to pursuing comedy and acting back in New York, you know? And, um, in 2004, uh, I got on Saturday night live. Um, so it happened, you know, it, it seems like it happened quickly, but it didn't because for the seven years prior to that, 
um, with the exception of Kosovo and the exception of Afghanistan, um, I, uh, I had been pursuing comedy for seven years at that point, you know, doing 1 a.m. improv jams for nine drunks in the basement of a bar <laughs> in Greenwich Village. You know, that sounds really, uh, it's awful. Alien. It's, yeah. it's, you know, and, and they're, they're only there because they're waiting for their turn to get on stage. <laughs> they're not even audience. <laughs> you know, they're other comedians judging you, not laughing. You're like, this sucks. Um, so yeah, so then, then Saturday Night Live happened and that was the first gig, first job I ever got in show business. Um, that, you know, was, wow. was worth anything. Yeah. And I, I, I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit many, many times. Um, I'll tell you this one real quick. Uh, I'll tell you what, when I almost broke, when I almost gave it up and I was like, this is just not for me. It's too hard. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm going down a, a rabbit hole that I can't get out of mm -hmm. and I'm wasting years. I'm wasting energy. I'm, you know, really beating myself up here. And it was, I went in for a commercial Okay. And you know, I, I, you try to get any work you can when you're starting out anything. So I went in for a commercial and they go, okay, read, the, read the line. So I'm like, great. And I, and by the way, I had to take off time from work. I had to put on a suit. I had to take two subways to get down to the, to this and then walk all the way to the, to the, uh, uh, East side river. No, it was West side. It was Hudson. So I had to walk all over. Anyway, it was a pain in the butt and it was raining on me. <laughs> so I go down and, uh, here's the line. I'm gelling. Are you gelling? <laughs> That's the line. Okay. It's a, it's a Dr. Scholl's commercial. Okay. okay. I got one line. That's all I got to say. I'm gelling. Are you gelling? Okay. Great. They go, they go, thank you. I go, okay. I get a call from a, a commercial agent. Hey, I don't know what you did, but they really liked you. They want you to come back tomorrow. Oh God, I got to take off work. I got to, <laughs> I got to put my suit on. I got to, okay, I'll do it. So same routine. Get down. I'm gelling. Are you gelling? Dynamite, dynamite. Just really great, Rob. Really loving it. Great. I go home. Hey, hey, killer. I get a call from my agent. Hey, killer, you're, you're knocking them dead. They want to see you again tomorrow. Three days in a row. Now, here's the thing. On the third audition, they got to pay you. 50 bucks. And I'm like, I mean, this is big money. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, ah, keep it. <laughs> you know, but I, I'm thinking that, but I'm like, no, no, I, I got to, this is a national commercial. It's, you know, it's, can you Dr. do the line it's one Dr. more Scholl, time? It's Dr. Scholl's exactly. Yeah. I go back down, same thing. Suit, I'm sweating through it. I'm just, I hate, I hate everybody right now, but I, I go into the room and I'm got to be Johnny smiles. So I go in, but this time there's like 10 executives from Dr. Scholl's and there's people from the ad agency and there's, so now the room is full, 15, 20 people in there. And it's down to like me and I don't know, 10 others. I'm gelling. Are you gelling? Oh yeah. I see a lot of nods. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah. That was fantastic. Read. Thanks Rob. Go away. Call. Hey, did I get it? No, but they absolutely love you. They want you back tomorrow. Wow. Going back from a fourth audition now. Fourth. I'm like, I, I, if I don't get this, someone's going to die. <laughs> so I go back. Now it's three of us. There's three of us. Okay. And the three of us are in the hallway, just looking at each other. Like, can you believe we're back doing this? And, you know, and we're like, good luck to you. Good luck. Go in. I'm gelling. Are you gelling? Rob, that was fantastic. Can you, can you say it again? But I, I, can you act like you're a little perplexed? Yeah, sure. I'm gelling. Are you gelling? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. 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 How about pretend you're a little upset, Rob. I'm gelling. Are you gelling? Yes, that was good. That was good. happy. Can you do it happy? I'm gelling. Are you gelling? <laughs> 
No kidding. This went on for about five minutes. Great, Rob. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Walk out. I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get it. And so I'm sitting there. I'm literally, I'm, it's like scanners. I'm like, uh, my brain, I, I really, it, something in me gave way. I felt something give where it's like, screw this. I'm done with this. I'm done with it. It's so subjective. You know, I hate it. I hate everybody in this business. I hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. And, and then, you know, I, I talked to some friends and I calmed down a little bit and I, I eventually went back to auditioning, but that was as close as I ever came oh, to quitting man. this whole business. Cause it's a brutal business. It's subjective. It's because there's a lot, there's, there's talent galore out there. It is subjective. And, and wow. so it's not fair. It's not fair. Well, so I have a son. Yeah. Hudson. Yeah. Talking about the Hudson yeah, river, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he wants to be an actor. Oh, he, he surprises us. He, uh, yeah. he comes and says, look, I want to be an actor. I want to be a producer. I want to do this. So what advice would you give to a, to a kid? He's uh, going to turn 11. I, I would give this advice to anybody who wants to pursue a life in the arts. Okay. Um, I wouldn't probably give it to a kid because I don't want to rain on their parade. Yeah. But you have to manage expectations. Because I think if you manage expectations, people can deal with things better. It, like when you're at the airport and you don't know what's going on, and, and people are like trying to cut in line and everybody's panicking. Have you ever seen it? It happens. No, yeah. And, yeah, and, all, and all it takes is the gate agent to go, oh, we have an engine problem. It's going to take five more minutes and then we'll start boarding with our first class. Everybody goes, huh. Everybody calms down because everybody knows what's going on now. If you manage some expectations, you, you, you have a better sh chance at survival. So if you're going to choose a life in the arts, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to take you 10 years it's 10 years to make an overnight success. Wow. 10 years before you will start to see opportunities materialize. And then you will see them. They'll materialize because the work you've done, because the connections you've made, because of the re reputation you've built, whatever. But you will see the, and then whether or not you capitalize on those opportunities, again, it comes down to you, uh, luck, which is opportunity meeting preparation. That's you know, right. All these things do come into play. All these cliches and all these things you've heard come into play. But I'll tell you right now, if you think you're going to get into it and go, I'm going to try it for a couple of years. And if it doesn't work, then I'm just going to go back to, you know, selling insurance. I'll just tell you right now, just keep selling insurance because it ain't going to yeah. happen. Yeah. You know, the, the, the wives tale or the, the old Hollywood fantasy story of a producer pulling up to a kid on a parking lot going, Hey kid, you got a face for movies. <laughs> Maybe once in a, a hundred years that happens, yeah. you know, yeah. for the, for everybody else. What, what, what was that? Oh, <laughs> Chris Peasy, the producer of the stars is, is giving me a hard time over here. Uh, Did but, that happen to you, Chris? Were you a child star? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> There's a story there. Peasy. Yeah, there is. Uh, but managing expectations, just knowing that you're going to be in it, hooking and jabbing for 10 years. And there's going to be moments when you want to quit because people are rude to you. People are cold to you. You know, you go in and you nail something and you don't get it mm. and it's not fair. There's going to be a lot of not fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you can, if it's, if it's what you have to do, if you can't imagine doing anything else, uh, if it's a passion, if it's a calling, then you don't have a choice. You got to, you got to put on your big boy pants, take your blows yeah. and find a way, find a way to make it happen. It'll happen. It'll take a while. And while that, and that's the hardest part too, is while it's taking 10 years of a lot of no's and you suck. All your friends are getting promoted, getting married, oh, wow. starting their families, mm -hmm. and you're being left in the dust. And your parents are going, what are you doing again? <laughs> you know, and your girlfriend's <laughs> like, why don't you have any money? And, you know, all the, it, you feel the weight of the world. Wow. Out. But 
you just have to get real clear on what you're doing. Decide what you want, believe in it, trust it, and and then own it. Yeah. And do it. Um, and, and it will happen. It will. It's just, it, it's not an easy road. If it was easy, everybody would do it. That's right. Sure. You know, Rob, you just used the word passion. Yeah. Um, and somewhat similarly, uh, Cody and I have folks that will approach us and, and ask us about getting into business or, hey, I want to start a venture. And and um, I just haven't found something that I'm passionate about, right? Um, and what's fascinating, Cody and I, is as you study kind of the the beginnings of, of, you know, language and you look at what passion in the, you know, Latin language means, it means to suffer, right? That's what passion, so the passion of Christ. Uh And as I listen to this story, um, you know, that which you've become successful at is, is what you really were willing to suffer for. Is that true? That's an interesting way to look at it. Yes. I think that's, Yeah. That's yeah. probably very accurate uh, uh, because there was a lot of suffering. Yeah, uh-huh. um, <laughs> uh, and and it never ends. By the way, there's no finish line mm-hmm. in showbiz. You know, I thought when I got on SNL, I was like, now I should sit back and I start doing movies next. Yeah, then, uh, absolutely. You know, because uh, no, that's not it at all. Because I I was let go uh, from SNL pretty quickly, um, and through no fault of my own, I, I can say that honestly, it was just it was a. It was an election year. They didn't get the numbers they wanted, so they cleaned house, and I was the last one in, first one out. So I got caught up in a, a thing, no problem. But I realized, okay, well, that's over. Now I have to go find a job, and I got you got to go find another job. Yeah. But it's, thank God I was passionate about it because mm-hmm. I was able to just say, okay, well, now I, I, I tack in a new direction mm-hmm. and find out what that is. So lastly for me um, is I'm thinking about Rob Riggle and, and what comes next, right? Um, you really... Uh, we were, we were watching the Super Bowl together this past past year, and Robert Eagle's like on every commercial, you know, um, and and it's been really amazing to see this success. One of the things is I was listening to you describe uh, your Kansas City event. Um, you know, what good is a leader if no one's willing to follow, right? Um and what's amazing about Rob Riggle, the Rob Riggle that Cody and I know, is people follow Rob Riggle. He's a leader, right? So Will Farrell and others, you ask, and, and it's a surprise to you, but it's really not a surprise to us because, you know, that's the kind of guy and, and you have that leadership. So as you think about the future, and, and this is probably off limits, but I'd like to ask, um, you've got a political science background, right? I do. Um, I have a master's in public administration. Yeah. Um, most of us hate politicians. <laughs> uh, yeah. No offense, but yeah. um, but we need people like Rob Riggle in, in that sort of uh, leadership role, in my opinion, here in America. And, and uh, you know, is something like that ever in the cards for Rob Riggle? Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd never say no to anything mm-hmm. outright. Yeah. Uh, if I were, that would probably be as close as it gets to. Yeah. But the truth is, is uh, it, it makes me sad. I, I have a deep passion for this country as well. I love this country and I want to see it do well. I want to see people succeed. Um, but, you know, I, I worry because our best leaders are not seeking public office. Our best leaders are staying in the private sector because we've created an environment now where if you enter the public arena and I understand politics have always been brutal, but it's a different level now because now they're going to, uh, drag you and your you through the mud and not only you, but your, your children are going to become pariahs. You know, your family's mm-hmm. going to feel the heat. It's not just you that gets beat up anymore. 
Um, and, and it's not even about your policies. Right. You, know, you get beat up about yeah. who knows what. Um, it, it's just a scary time. It feels very scary. But maybe that's when people need to stand up the most. I don't know. I, I wrestle with that sometimes. Uh, and then, and then, you know, the, the responsibility uh, of that yeah. and, and, uh, it's a family decision. I don't mm-hmm. know. It, it would, it's interesting. Uh, Cause you, I, there are times when I go, I've had enough. I cannot take any more of this. And then, you know, if you catch me at the right moment, I'll say yes. <laughs> but then there's times when I'm like, you gotta be out of your mind. If you think I'm ever going to yeah, put my, involved, put, yeah, right. put my uh, hat in that arena. Cause they're just going to kill me. Yeah. They're going to, you know, and, and I don't, do I need the beating? I don't know. But then, but then sometimes I, I get revved yeah. up saying somebody's got to do something because yeah. it's, it's a shame. Yeah. And, and I just want reasonable. I'm just looking for reasonable. Give me, give me reasonable yeah. people. Yeah. No, we agree a hundred percent of this. So yeah. that's, that's a, a non-answer answer. Good. <laughs> that's what we expected. Right? Yeah. Very that, good. That's already, I'm already a politician <laughs> right there. Absolutely. The, the no answer answer. Well, if you ever throw your hat in the ring, you have your, uh, your campaign chairman's right here. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, we got your back, man. I love yeah, it. We do. I love it. That's good to know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very good. I, I, I We really appreciate you, Rob, and uh, yeah. appreciate you coming oh, out. It's such an honor to hang out with you guys and to come up here uh, to uh, Teton Springs. Uh, it, it is. It's an honor, and it's 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 such a relaxing. Uh, the second we get off, the second I get off the plane, I know P's the same way and, and Gary now, but as soon as we got off the plane, you, you just took a breath and it felt good, and it, it 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 is. It feels like coming home in a way. So it's 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 always an honor to come up and hang hang at the Browns Buffalo Club. Thanks, Rob. We've really enjoyed having you on. Uh, we're we're excited about the future uh, adventures with Rob Riggles. So absolutely. All right. Thanks, Thank guys. you, Rob. Appreciate it.